You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. We're talking about the name of the names of God. We're talking about Jehovah Nisi today. Say it after me. Say Jehovah Nisi. Come on, say it like you mean it. Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. Before we dive into it, let me share what is a banner. Biblically speaking, when we see this passage, a banner is this, a pole-like standard beneath which armies or communities rallied. When lifted up, it called the people together for battle, for meeting, or for instruction. This is also what they would call their battle cry, their battle cry. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. To put this in context, as I was studying this, one of the, the, the pictures that God brought to my mind was this, this amazing picture that we've all seen of the American flag being raised right here. And whenever this was taken, I did some research on this situation, specifically Iwo Jima, whenever they were going and they were, all of these guys were moving and the, the photographer that took this picture, they interviewed him and they talked about this moment right here. And it's amazing that he captured this moment, like he barely got this picture and they barely got the video. He was right next to the video guy. They barely got it. But what happened was whenever they first were coming and they were coming at the top of this hill right here, where this flag was, there, before this flag, there was actually a much smaller American flag. Much smaller. It was on this really tall, skinny pole and a tiny flag on top. But here's what the photographer said. He said, as I was going and I looked up and I saw that tiny American flag, his words, and I quote, it gave me the jolt that I needed to continue on. Why? He looked at what he was fighting for. And you ask any, and I know there's a lot of controversy around this, and I'm not trying to get it political or anything like that, but I'm just saying, you ask Officer Reed in the lobby, you ask a police officer, you ask a a soldier what this flag means to them, especially in a time of need when people are dying around them. And he said, when I saw that, it gave me the jolt that I need. And then the commanding officer comes in and he says, that flag's not big enough. And he sends the biggest flag he's got, and he says, take this flag, take the other one down, give it to me, and put this one in its place, because I want all of our guys to see that we are here, and we are together, and we are moving forward in victory. That was his response. That was his response. And whenever we see the Lord is my banner, this is something tangible in, in our modern day in America that we could probably understand when you talk to a soldier and they hear, man, our, our battle cry, what we're fighting for, like, I, man, it means the, the world to me, my banner. The Lord is my banner. Let's look at where we see this, though, in Scripture, and then we'll talk about how does this really apply to us. What does it really mean, then, for the Lord? The Lord is obviously not saying that he is a flag, right? He's, he's not the American flag. I don't want to burst anybody's bubble. Anybody's bubble. He's not the American flag. He's, he's not a flag. He's greater than that, but how do we raise our banner? How do we raise the Lord as our banner? That's really the question because the thing is this, it's great to have a banner over my house, over my life, over our church. It's great to have a banner, but the banner doesn't do any good if no one raises it. And that's what we're going to see in scripture. Let's look at it in Exodus 17, Exodus 17, starting in verse 8, starting in verse 8. This is Moses. We're picking back up with the story of Moses again. It says this, Now Amalek came and they fought with Israel at Rephidim. 
And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill and the rod, with the rod of uh, God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur, they went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand that Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and they put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur, they supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and he called its name, the Lord is my banner, which is where we translate, the Lord is my banner, it's where we translate Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Nisi. There's so much that we can learn from this. There's golly. God's word is so good. And when you ask the Holy Spirit, when you read these Old Testament stories and you ask the Holy Spirit, uh, a couple great questions is this. Where is Jesus in the story? Even if it's in the Old Testament, where's Jesus and where am I? Those are two great questions. When you're reading God's word by yourself in your own personal quiet time, always ask, where's Jesus and where am I? Because honestly, many times we like to identify with, with um, great generals of faith, but many times the Holy Spirit will show you that's actually not where you are in reality. You're here, but he will show you how to get and how to grow in your faith. Where's Jesus and where am I? We're going to see some of that as we dive into this. The first thing we see is this. Battles will come in our life. Battles are going to come. But when the battle comes, we have a banner that we can raise up, and we can raise it knowing that victory is possible, knowing that there is an end in sight, that God wants to move on our behalf. And the first thing that we must do whenever a battle shows up, whether it's sickness or whether it's an, uh, man, a financial issue, whenever it's something that the enemy tries to throw your way, relationship issues, whatever it may be, when the enemy shows up, the first thing we must do is pray. And that's point number one. Pray first. Pray first. Jehovah Nisi can only be released to work in my life when I raise him up. He can only be released to really go to work in my life when I raise him as my banner. And I do that through prayer. Prayer, though, is not a last resort. Prayer is our first line of defense. We have to resist the flesh's instinct to panic, to worry, to fear, or to try to solve the problem ourselves. If I can be transparent for a moment, this past week I had the privilege of going out and uh, getting together with some other pastors, and I got invited to go on this pastor's kind of retreat for a few days and go do some hunting, which was really cool. Um, I don't get to do that very often, but man, it was a lot of fun. But wouldn't you know, as I was going out to the ranch to go hunt, on my way, uh, and at the very beginning of the trip, I got I got two voicemails and two messages of urgent issues that needed to be dealt with. Some of them were pretty heavy urgent issues, like, man, I've got to, I've got to solve this problem now. I have people waiting on me. So some, two of them were very personal, urgent things that needed to be dealt with. And wouldn't you know, the devil knows I'm going to unplug and to go recharge and learn from some of these people that I look, way up, to, I look up to. But on my way, what happens? The battle presents itself. 
But can I be honest with you? My, my flesh, my flesh instinct was to worry. My flesh instinct was to panic. And my flesh instinct, as uh, probably a lot, of, a lot of you can relate to, is this. I need to get hands-on, and I need to solve the issue. I can do it. Because, oh, I mean, it's a big issue, but I don't need to pray, but I can do it. I can solve it. I just got to move some stuff around. I can fix it. I can. Everywhere in God's word that we look, he says, pray first, seek first, ask, seek, knock. He says, if you will, I can move. We need to learn not to go with our flesh and to panic or to worry when those battles arise. And I must take a step back and say, you know what? I'm going to pray first. And that's what I had to do this past week, just this past week. Once you know, I, I had to live it out and actually put feet to my faith and say, I'm not just going to preach about this, but I'm going to live it out too. And I had to stop. I had to literally put my phone away and say, I'm not going to respond to, even though they're urgent issues, I'm not going to respond to them until I'm done with this trip that I'm going on. And I had to say, God, I give it to you. God, I don't have the answers. I don't know what to do. God, I give it to you today. And I had to lay it at his feet. Jehovah Nisi, our banner, he can only be raised whenever we choose to pray first. But when I choose to get my hands on it and try to control it or try to force the issue, it never works. I have then become the Lord of my own life. I got it, God. I don't need you for this one. He's looking for us to rely on him for everything, big and small and everything in between. Look at Philippians 4, 6 through 7. It says this. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Come on, that's, a, that's the message right there. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Look, tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is not a passive thing. It's an active thing. What does it say? God's peace will guard your heart. It's an active thing. He's not saying, hey, I'm just going to be around. No, I'm going to go before you, and I'm going to guard your heart and your mind to keep those things from coming in and stealing your joy and stealing your peace. But what did I have to do first in order before God's peace could go to work? Pray. Number one, choose not to worry. Resist the flesh. The flesh, the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing. Resist the flesh. Seek God. Pray about everything. And when I do that, then his peace can come. But so many times, I'm like, ah, I got it. I can do it. I can handle it. I'm going to fix the issue. Uh, man, or I'm just panicking. I'm just so consumed with fear and panic that I don't know what to do that I forget. What, have I even prayed about this? Have I even stopped to pray about this? And God's, most of the time, the Holy Spirit's standing in the corner saying, I could help you if you would ask. But so many times, we're over here with our head down, going to work, trying to solve the issue, and he's saying, hey, remember me? Jesus said, I'm your helper. Let me help you. Pray first. When I pray first, he can go to work and he can help. Psalm 102, 17 says this. He will listen. God will listen to the prayers of the destitute. He will not reject their pleas. When I'm in a tough situation and the battle is raging, his ear, he's a good father, his ear is tuned and turned towards you. He's waiting for us to do something. I bet, I bet Moses would have liked to just maybe stay back and said, hey, God, could you just win this battle for us? Say a quick prayer and be done with it, right? That'd be a lot easier than standing on this mountain from sunup to sundown with his hands raised in the air 
everything riding on his hands being up. But what did it take? It took him praying, acting, and walking it out. James 5.16 says this, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Everyone say wonderful. Say like I mean it, wonderful. The prayer of a righteous person. What is it hindering? If I want wonderful results and great power in my life, as simple as this may sound, I've got to pray. But as I shared even this past week, how tempting it is for me to not pray and to just deal with it because that's, that's how life goes sometimes. It gets tough. God says, if you would trust me enough to pray and pray first, I can move on your behalf. Our prayers produce wonderful results. So are you praying about the situation or the thing that's been eating your lunch this week? What's that thing that's been nagging at you this week? Maybe it's an unpaid bill. Maybe it's an unknown. Maybe it's a, an unanswered prayer request. Are you still standing? Are you still praying? Or are you letting it just eat at you with anxiety and worry? This is why it's so important to pray in the Spirit, to pray in a heavenly language, that prayer language we talked about several weeks ago. If I don't have this, there's these moments that come and can I be honest with you, when we were out, we were hunting quail, so there was a lot of walking. Can I be honest with you? We were out hunting quail, and I was just praying in the Spirit. Not out loud, not for show, but I was praying in the Spirit. My spirit was praying to God outside of my understanding, and it brought peace to my heart so that I could walk knowing, God, I've given it to you. My flesh is still tempted to worry, and this is why Paul says the Spirit and the flesh war against one another. And he says, Pray. And I will win the war between the two when I'm continuing to pray. I need to pray in the Spirit. But here's what happens. Okay, let's say it's not an attack that's attempting you to worry, but maybe it's just an inconvenience. It's just kind of a, you know, a, a thorn in the flesh, right? It's one of those things that's just, man, it's just nagging at me. It's irritating me. Here's what happens. The temptation is this, that many Christians have replaced praying with complaining. Look at Facebook. Many people have really replaced praying with complaining. And every time you talk to them, they're complaining about a person or this or that. And, and I, I just want to raise the question, are you praying as much as you're complaining? If so, you might have a really good prayer life, right? Are you praying as much as you're tempted to complain? Can we be real? Man, sometimes the flesh is going to try to wage war. Sometimes there's going to be an attack from the enemy. But are you complaining about your coworkers or are you praying for them? That one that just gets at you. You know what I mean? That boss that maybe you don't like too much. Are you praying for him or are you just complaining about it? Are you praying about our nation? Are you praying for it? Are you complaining about our government officials? Or are you praying for them? Here's why this is important. Complaining ruins our testimony. Prayer strengthens it because God gets the glory when the prayer is answered. Nobody, I mean, it's in God's word. It's a biblical, it's a biblical fact that nobody likes to be around complaining. It's like dripping, running water. Complaining ruins my testimony. Prayer increases it. Look at 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. It says this. I urge you, I urge you, first of all, pray first. First of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. 
Pray this way for kings and for all of those that are in authority so that you can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. He says when you pray first, you can live peaceful, quiet lives. I don't know about you, but that sounds good to me. I'm okay with that. I don't want to live a life full of strife and anxiety and depression. Like, I don't want to live life on the edge that way, where every day is just constant roller coaster emotionally up and down. I want to have some consistency, but that rock is only found in Jesus. I can only have that consistency when I'm basing my life on Jesus. Peaceful, quiet, I must pray first. Moses here gives us a physical example of what it looks like when we intercede on someone else's behalf. Here's what Moses does. God says, go to the top of the mountain. Raise your hands. When your hands are up, the battle is being won. As soon as he puts his hands down, he puts his guard down, what happens? They're getting defeated. What happens when he raises his hands? There's victory. When you go and you are intentional about praying for someone else, Picture yourself like Moses in that situation. My hands are up. I'm raising the the rod of God in the air on their behalf because they can't, because they're in the battle right now. Maybe you're not in the battle, but you know someone that is. Pray on their behalf. And while you pray, you can guarantee that God will go to work and they will begin to win the battle. That's intercessory prayer. That's what it is. It's a great picture of it right there. This is why we talked about with our team when it comes to Easter. Who are you praying for? Start raising your hands now for those people that are lost and far from God. And when you lift your hands on their behalf, God can move. But what did God need? He needed someone who had the faith to stand on a mountain and raise his hands. How crazy does that that sound in the natural? But God says, will you partner with me and lift the banner? When we lift the banner, Jehovah Nisi, the victory is possible. But do you see the banner's no good if we don't raise it by prayer? I must pray. The second thing that, that Moses shows us is this, that we have to surround ourselves with faith-filled people. I got to surround myself with people who are willing to go to the top of the mountain with me and hold my, my hands up, hold my arms up. We'll get into this in just a second, but that should probably be a pretty short list because there's a lot of people who have good intentions But when you allow people to get that close, even good Christians, they have good intentions, but they may come raise your hand up, but they may be speaking doubt into your ear because they're right next to you. So I need someone who's willing spiritually to raise my hands up and speak truth in my ear, not doubt. Who do I have? Jehovah Nisi is the banner over his people. We're not meant to do life alone. doesn't matter how long you've been in church. You may say, man, I'm good. I feel pretty comfortable with my prayer life, whatever. Look, the battle's still going to come. Or you may need to be praying on someone else's behalf as Moses was here. And God says, you need to have some people with you. Because guess what? No matter how long, no matter how long you've been in church, no matter how good of Christian you may believe that you are, maybe you are. As Moses, his arms and his hands, what, got heavy. His arms got heavy. You're going to go through a season in your life. And maybe you're walking on the straight and narrow and you're doing everything right. Moses is a man of God. God's using Moses. But his hands still got heavy. There's nothing wrong with admitting, hey, I'm a little tired. 
There's nothing wrong with that. Because now we can solve the problem. Now I can, when I admit to myself, my hands, I'm, I'm doing everything I know to do, but my hands are, I'm just tired, man. I'm heavy. My, my, my faith is getting tired. I know it's time to bring in those close friends who can prop me up on the rock like they did Moses and raise my hands and say, we got you. Remember what God said. If you'll raise the staff, we will win. If you'll stay the course, you will win. You need people who can come alongside you and who will honestly, truthfully do that. That's why I said faith-filled people. There's a lot of people with good intentions. You may have a lot of good-hearted, morally good people in your life. That's great. But you need to find some mature believers who can stand with you. You need some mature believers who can stand with you in a time of need. Moses could not properly raise his hands on his own. And are you trying to do that spiritually? I got it. I don't care how tired I am. I got it. Don't do life alone like that. Don't do life alone like that. Show me your friends, and I'll show you the trajectory of your life. This is the, the, what we see in God's Word time and time again. Whoever you're surrounding yourself with, spending the most time with, whoever your closest friends are, I will show you who you will be in two years. It doesn't take long. Show me who your closest friends are, and I will show you who you will be in two years. So if you stood back right now, and you looked at your group of friends, and you said, I don't really want to be like them in two years. Maybe it's time to reevaluate. But if you take a step back, and maybe you have one or two friends, you say, yeah, man, they're going in the right direction. I want to be with them. I want to be like them in two years. Man, lean into that friendship. Look at what God's word says. In Proverbs 22, 24 through uh, 25, it says this. It says, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people, or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. Man. He says what? Show me your friends. I'll show you the trajectory of your life. Who I'm hanging out with, I'm going to learn to be just like them. And God's, God's word says, takes a step further. He says, your soul is at stake. Friendship is important because your soul is at stake. Let's look at another one, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. They can get a lot more done. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But look at this, woe to him who is alone when he falls for he has no one to help him up. Do I have people that when I get tired, when I get knocked down, they can come and they can lift me up, not in their own might, but in the might of God's word? Can they raise me up? Proverbs seventeen seventeen, A friend is always loyal, and a brother is born to help in a time of need. That's how you know. It's great to have friends, right, when everything's good. Friendship is, at, is not at its best, not in prosperity, it's at its best in a time of trouble. Because I get to see who's my real friends. And not just that, who are the ones who are willing to hold me up? Do you know what they did? So what was the first thing they do? God's word is so good. Moses gets tired. The first thing they do is they prop, before they hold his arms up, they prop him up on the rock. What did Jesus say? Build your house on the rock. God's word, the imagery is tied throughout all of it. We need some friends that when I get tired, the first thing they do, even before they jump in and help, is they get the rock and they make sure it's solid under my feet. They say, what did God's word say? What verse are you standing on? What are you leaning on? What's going to keep you standing while the battle is raging? I need some friends who will always 
go to this book before they go to their own opinion or their own life experience. What did God's word say? That's the rock. It's the first thing Moses' friends did. We got you. Let's get that rock over here. Let's get you sat on this. Then we'll prop your hands up. We got you. I need some friends that will do that for me. So do I have people that can hold my hands up spiritually when I get tired? Like I said earlier, the wrong person, the wrong people will come and they will hold your hands up, yes, but they'll speak doubt into your ear. Because they'll come along and they're going to see, hey, when you put your hands down, we started losing the battle. Maybe it's not God's will for you to win this battle. Oh, man, did you see that? If it was God's will, we could have just wiped these guys out half a day, been home for lunch. The battle raged from sun up to sundown. I need some friends that even when the battle rages and even when I'm taking some punches, they will say, we got you, stand firm. This is what God said. We believe it and we trust it. The right people will come and they'll hold your hands up and they're going to remind you of God's word and speak encouragement to you in the fight. But when I invite people that close, I give them my ear because they're holding my hands up. Who do I have speaking to me? If they're not speaking this, they don't need to be that close. Doesn't mean I got to disown them, but they don't need to be that close. Can I tell you, in the last six months, Leslie and I have faced a lot of stuff. One of them was a, was a pretty heavy thing. My list of people that I let in to hold my hands up was pretty short because I knew what we were facing was pretty tough. I knew there was a few guys that I would call really good friends, but if I invited them in, they wouldn't speak truth in my ear. They wouldn't encourage me in God's word. They would bring facts and opinions, and I'm not against facts and opinions, but I'm a, I am a for God's word above facts and opinions. And that's what I had to do, is I had to say, who can I call that they, they're just going to remind me of the rock, and they're going to hold my hands up no matter what happens? Do you have that list? God said today just to take, take evaluation of who you have in your life. Who do you have? If you don't have someone, that's why we have a church community here. I look around the room, and there are some great people, faith-filled people here, who when your life gets tough and you face the battle, we will be here for you. I promise you that. And we're going to speak God's word above any word. You found the right place if you don't have those friends. Right here is where you can find them. Let's continue on. The last thing is this, and I'll wrap up here. Build an altar. Build an altar. This is the one we often forget. Pray first. Yeah, I've been hearing that since I was five years old. I need to pray, right? Yeah, we forget that often. Surround myself with good friends. Yeah, I've been hearing that since I was in grade school, right? Choose your friends wisely. Build an altar. Luckily, we don't have to physically build an altar today. But the naming of the altar, Jehovah Nisi, is a reminder to believers of every era that we can only be victorious as we honor the name of the Lord and we rally to Him as our banner. Him as our banner. Nothing else. Many times it's tempting to run to a, a job or a career as my banner. That's what I'm rallying for. That's my why for today. To run to somebody I look up to, a, a political office, a politician, somebody I, I mean, I, I can rally behind them. But Moses says, rally behind Jehovah Nisi. 
Raise him up as your banner. And if you will, the, the victory is possible. Think of this. The first thing Moses did after they won the victory, in the dark, mind you, <laughs> was he built an altar with his blood-drained, tired hands. Sun up to sundown, hands are up. You ever slept wrong? On, I'm a side sleeper. You ever slept wrong on your arm and you roll over and it's like someone cut my arm off? Like what, what is this weird body part that I can't move, right? You ever been there? It's weird, right? It's super painful when the blood starts flowing again. Yeah, I maybe slept that way for 10 minutes. Moses, sun up to sundown, had his hands up. Think of the condition he is in physically. Blood-drained hands. Top it off, sundown. It's dark out. No mag lights around here. Let's get those torches. What's he do? Build an altar. Acknowledges God in the victory. Building an altar was Moses' way of recognizing the presence of God. He says, I acknowledge you. He was honoring God as the giver of victory over the battle. Today we don't have to physically build an altar, but we do need to physically and spiritually go to the altar. Because sometimes we'll pray and we'll stand and we'll believe for things and God will answer our prayer. But because life is so good, we forget to get on our knees and just say, God, thank you. Thank you for answering that prayer. Thank you for meeting that financial need. God, who am I? Who am I that you would, you would help me? We forget to be in this posture sometimes. And Moses sets this great example by saying, look, I'm tired. I'm worn out. I didn't even have to fight the battle, but I am, I am worn out here, guys. But imagine what his soldiers felt like. Hey, we just won. All right, let's build this altar. I want to go home. I want to go back to my tent. Now we need to acknowledge God in this. We need to make sure that he's first. Man. Hebrews 13, 15 says this. It says, therefore by him, by Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Such an interesting sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice. The original Greek word means this, to kill or slaughter for a purpose. For a purpose. Worship and praise often requires that we kill our pride, our fears, our selfishness, or anything that would keep us from wholeheartedly worshiping and glorifying God. What keeps me from going all out when I worship God? in here even, on Sundays? What keeps me from really just enjoying his presence, raising my hands, singing it out, man? If I got to kneel, kneel in his presence, whatever it is, what keeps me? Many times it's pride wrapped in insecurity. Well, I don't want to know what, what are people going to think. What's my coworker going to think whenever they, they see that that need was met? And I say, yeah, God did that for me. What are they going to think? You think I'm weird? Who cares, man? What do you think Moses' soldiers thought? Moses, we're tired. We're ready to go home. Let's build an altar. I don't care what you think. Will you help me? Will you help me acknowledge God as number one and give him glory, which is my whole job, my whole reason for existing on this earth is to bring him glory. I'll say this. When you don't feel like worshiping, it's usually the best time to worship. I have to physically go 
and make myself worship. There's been times in my life where I've battled depression, where I've battled heaviness, spiritual heaviness in my life. And it's real. And I didn't feel like worshiping. That was the last thing I felt like doing. I didn't feel like reading my Bible. Last thing I felt like doing. But can I tell you something? When I forced myself to get on my knees and to raise my hands, and just even in my living room, late at night, when my family's asleep, and and worship God, get on my face in his presence and worship, battles are won there. But I have to physically crucify my flesh and go do it. Am I willing to lift up that sacrifice of praise to him? And it's sweet to him. He says it's a sweet-smelling aroma to him. He loves it. He welcomes it, and he's looking for it. And when I worship and when I give thanksgiving to God, it does something special. I say this. I put this in your notes, I think. When I give thanks for the past, it gives me peace for the present and faith for the future. When Moses built that altar, he was making sure that everyone from this moment forward, generations to come, they would see this in remembrance of what God did in remembrance of Jehovah Nissi, our banner that we raise up. He says, I'm going to build this altar so that everyone can see, not just my kids or your kids, but our grandkids and our kids, 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 and on. They can see this and remember. Many times we're in the battle, and we don't even know what to thank God for because it feels so heavy and it feels so tough. And God's just saying, look, if you would just remember what I've done for you, and if you can't think of anything, think of salvation. It's more than enough. If I can thank him for what he's done, in the past, it gives me peace for the present because I know if he did it back then, he will do it again. He can do it again. And guess what? I have faith for the future because I don't know what tomorrow holds, but he will show up there uh, as well. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if I can look in here, it's the same God. If he did it in here, I can have peace for today because he will move today. And I can have faith for the future because he's going to be the same tomorrow if I'll have the faith to raise him as a banner over my life, over my family's life, over my kids, over my church. If I will raise him as Jehovah Nisi, man, the victory is ours. But I've got to raise him. And I've got to keep him in the right place. He is God. I have to acknowledge him and never forget, how did I get here? How am I even alive today, God? From his goodness. Only by his goodness. 1 Corinthians 15, 57-58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm. Let nothing move you because things will try to move you. The battle will come. But when you raise up Jehovah Nisi, the victory, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. We're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from it. Jesus is victorious and he's given us his spirit to walk in victory today and be free. Jehovah Nisi is the Lord, our banner. He is our battle cry. He is our guarantee of victory. But the banner only works if it's lifted. This is why today, I give you some reflection questions. I also give you this action step. The reflection questions, take those home. Get in your quiet time. Ask the Holy Spirit. Ask your spouse. Be honest about those. But here's what I want you to see. The action step. 
lift up a sacrifice of praise to Jehovah Nisi every morning? Would you start your day and let the first thing, don't grab your phone, don't just start your day by saying thank you. Thank you, if anything, for breath in my lungs today, God. Thank you for life today. Thank you for your goodness today. Thank you that I'm going to walk in victory today. God, I pray that you would take this weight off of me today. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being with me today. Thank you for your spirit today. If I would just start with thanksgiving and praise, what am I doing? I'm praying first. I'm lifting up Jehovah Nisi. And though I may show up today and the battle is there, in my life or someone else's life that I know, guess what? I have victory because I have the banner over me. Pray first, surround myself with faith-filled people and build that altar. Never forget to get on my knees, no matter how blood-drained, tired, exhausted physically, spiritually, or emotionally I am, to get on my knees and say, God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your goodness. We may not be in the promised land yet, but thank you for the victory today. I may not be where I want to be yet, but thank you for today. If we'll do that, man, the victory is ours. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. You're good. You are so good. And you do good. Your word is true. God, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness. It's never ending. Your faithfulness is never ending. Your promises never fail. Lord, we thank you that you are Jehovah Nisi. You are our banner. And Lord, today we just lift you up in our lives personally. We lift you up in our, in our church today, God. You are our banner, our provider. You are our war cry. You're our battle cry. We, we rally behind you and under you, knowing that with you there is victory, God. And Lord, I just pray today as we leave, let us be encouraged. Let us take this word and let us run with it, God. I pray that this week that when the battle shows up, maybe it's from sun up to sundown and, and the day after that and the day after that, or maybe we've been in it for a while, for years. Help us remember to raise you up as Jehovah Nisi. Help us remember to raise you up as our banner, our victory. And God, whenever you answer and whenever you move, Lord, we are going to be careful to give you praise, to give you honor and say, look what God did. Now look what we did. Look what God did in our, on our behalf. We love you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.